And it is the start of the Advent season. We've got new decorations up, I failed to mention tonight, too. Thanks to Sue Ann and Tanya. A round of applause for them for coming in. And all the little helper elves that helped them put that together tonight as well. They decorated the carpet also with um, sprinkles, it looks like, little angel fairies uh, on our brand new carpet. It's probably going to be here for... It's all... It's okay. Even though it's the start of the Advent season, it's the end of our series through the book of 1 Samuel, where we've been through, I don't even remember when we started, August, September, I don't, we've been here for a long time. You're probably like, gosh, we've been here forever, but we're finally, final week right now in the book of 1 Samuel, the Monarch of Misfits series. And what I want to do tonight is as we finish this series, I want to finish it well. Actually, that's going to be the title of the message tonight. It's finishing well. Because tonight is not only the final night of the series, it's the final chapter, chapter 31 in 1 Samuel. It's the final story of Saul as his reign of king, and it's Saul's final day on earth. And so I want to give us a verse from Paul, actually, to kind of guide us tonight. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and Paul writes, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And so the question tonight is, do you want to finish well? I mean, I think we all would say we do want to finish well. I want to finish this sermon well tonight. I want to do a good job. I want to finish what we started here at Refuge well, however long that goes. I want to finish my marriage to my wife who just came in. I want to finish that well whenever it finishes. I want to finish being a parent to my children well, and that's into adulthood and beyond. And I want to finish my life well, and I'm sure you do too. And so have you ever considered your obituary? That's a weird question, right? I don't even know if those still exist because we don't really have newspapers anymore. Seeing some head shaking. Who's going to write your obituary? Have you even thought about that? I mean, it's a weird thing to think about, right? What's it going to say? What do you want it to say? Maybe is a better question. And as we think about that, is finishing well or maybe finishing poorly then a result of our choices in life or is it just pure luck? It's not to say we're not going to suffer either way or that everything ends in success, but is finishing well a result of our choices? And then we have to answer the question, what does finishing well even mean? Does it mean we finish with a cushy retirement or we get a pain-free death? Or maybe for you kids that are still in school and you're finishing a class, it's, it's getting a 90% or better on your exam. Or maybe for us parents, it's that our kids eventually do move out of the house. That's finishing well. Or maybe for us here at the church, it's that the church outlives all of us. That would be finishing well. Here's how Paul defines finishing well. He says, pouring out my life as an offering to God, fighting the good fight, and remaining faithful. That's finishing well. Now, we all know someone who has started something with passion, with vision, with sincerity, then they get into it, and then they're no longer running well, or they're no longer even running the race at all. And for most of us, that someone is probably the person looking at us in the mirror. For example, it's December. How's those New Year's resolutions working out? (laughs) Are you finishing them well? Do you even remember what they are? Proverbs 27.12 says, A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton, though, goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. And I use that because we won't finish well if we don't plan to finish well. And again, it's not just planning to win. God hasn't called us only to success, 
but he has called us to obedience. And so when we start something new, I know, at least I do, I put a lot of thought into how to get it off the ground and how to begin and how to get it going, but how much thought do I put into how it's going to finish well? And so as we've looked at the events in Saul's life, we've seen that he's not fought the good fight, he's not remained faithful, he's not poured out his life as an offering to God, and because of that, it means things probably aren't going to end well for Saul. I'm re-watching right now, and I'm not encouraging you to do this by any means, but I'm re-watching Breaking Bad because I watched Better Call Saul, and I wanted to go see how the prequel fit with the sequel, so I went back, and I'm re-watching the whole series. And from the very first episode, you know one thing. You know it's not going to end well for Walter White. He's a chemistry teacher who decides it's a good idea to cook meth. It's not going to end well. It's flawed from the start. But with Saul... It started like this, and it almost seems like a poem. There was a man from Kish who has a son, and his name was Saul. He was a handsome young man, no one more so. He was taller than all the people. He's off to a pretty great start. And then we're told he's chosen by God himself to be the king of Israel, the very first king, that God gave him everything he needed to finish well, that he's anointed, that he has access to a prophet who has access to God. He's filled with God's spirit. He's given a new heart. He has the love of the people. But there was never a plan for Saul to finish well, and he went blindly on and suffered the consequences as the proverb goes. And so tonight, we're going to be in the final chapter of 1 Samuel, the final chapter of the life of Saul. It's chapter 31. I'm going verse by verse. It's the New Living Translation, verse 1. Now the Philistines attacked Israel, and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Geboa. Verse 1 is like this big picture summary. This is the attack that Saul knew was coming from last week. It's why he was frantic with fear, if you remember, and why he consulted with a medium and a dead prophet. And so we get this big picture in verse 1. But in verse 2 and the rest of this, it's going to zoom in to the details of the battle. Verse 2, it says, The Philistines, the enemies of the Israelites, closed in on Saul and his sons. And they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, Abinadad, and Malkishua, I think. The last time we saw Jonathan, you remember him back in chapter 23, he said to David, Do not fear, David. You shall be king, David, and I shall be with you. But that was not to be here alongside his brothers, just as Samuel had prophesied the day before. Jonathan, the great and loyal friend to David, who was going to be there with him as a king, dies. Verse 3, the fighting grew very fierce around Saul, and the Philistine archers caught up with him and wounded him severely. This is a mortal wound. Saw a quote this week by Woody Allen. It's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. None of us get that luxury, though. And Saul is going to be there when he dies. Verse 4 says, Saul groaned to his armor bearer, take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come to run me through and taunt and torture me. And what I want us to see here is Saul isn't ending well. He's seeking to save himself from suffering and mistreatment and embarrassment. There is nothing honorable in this. He is not some tragic hero, as some might say. I mean, Saul never cries out to God in his time of distress. Never in this whole story. Yet even in his death, he's concerned about his reputation more than he is finishing well. Story goes on, but his armor bearer was afraid and would not do it. 
And I don't know what this fear stems from. Maybe it's, you know, thou shalt not murder, and, and he doesn't want to disobey God. Or maybe he's showing the same respect for God's anointed that David showed a few weeks earlier in the cave. But then we get this. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. Not accidentally. This is on purpose. And so Saul dies in the same way he lived. Again, there is no mention of God in this story. He never cries out to God. There's no prayer of repentance for his sin. There's no pleas to God to rescue him like we see with David later on in the story. His main concern is dying and then his enemies taunting him and embarrassing him. And so as we sang tonight, our God is a lion. Israel needed, they wanted a lion for a king, even though they had the lion of God. They wanted a lion as an earthly king, but I think they got a squirrel. What's a squirrel do when you're driving down the road? I've said this before. They, they run out and they run back. They're paralyzed because they can't make a decision one way or the other. And so Israel had a king, God. It was the roaring lion, roaring with power. They wanted a human king, and they got an indecisive, fearful squirrel. Never fully committed to anything, never fully committed to God, never fully committed to his people, running in the middle of the road back and forth with the Philistines bearing down, and he finishes his life there. Verse 5 says, when his armor bearer realized that Saul was dead, he fell on his sword and died beside the king. He's following the example of his king. Verse 6, so, the, so Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and his troops all died together that same day. And so the man who began head and shoulders above everyone else, the talk of the town, the high school quarterback, the obvious choice for king, the one who could lead, the one that was supposed to vanquish the enemy, the one with so much going for him starts off, and then he dies dead by his own hand on the side of a mountain. And we're supposed to see a scene like this when we read stories, and particularly the Bible. And when we read something about a death like this, we're supposed to feel something. Because death is the destiny of every single human being. I once did a, uh, I own an insurance agency, and this is many years ago, one of my marketing faux pas, the greatest of all time. I sent out a letter to all of my customers trying to drum up some business for life insurance. The title of the letter in great big bold letters was simply, You Are Going to Die. <laughs> they opened the letter, that's what they see. You are going to die. Needless to say... I got a few complaints. I got like 30-some complaints from that particular mailer, and I never, ever will do that again. But the thing is, we don't like to be told that. We don't like to think about that, that we are going to die. We don't like to think about our obituary and who's going to write it. Saul reigned as king for 40 years. His obituary, if someone was writing it, Saul was a man who gained no more land for his nation than what he started with. He didn't succeed in driving out the Philistines. In fact, he gave up ground to him. He tried to kill his own son. He spent his life jealous of David and tried to kill him multiple times. The last thing Saul did before he took his life was consult with a witch and talk to a dead prophet. That's his obituary. What happened? His reign as king started out with so much promise, but it ends in this total train wreck. And it's a common story, right? We know this story that we start out well and then we don't finish well. Karen was telling me um, an article she read this week, puppies, it's Christmas time. What happens at Christmas? It seems like such a great idea, right? I mean, kids will love it. They're going to learn. You can ooh and awe over that. That's our puppy from last Christmas, <laughs> Ivy. 
Like, oh man, if we get this puppy for Christmas, the kids are going to learn responsibility and, you know, it's just going to be such a great bonding moment for the family. And it starts out so well and you do these cute pictures and there's all smiles and happiness. And then a week or two later, the amount of work sets in that this thing's going to pee on the carpet and poop on the carpet. And you're going to have to clean it up multiple times and nobody's going to want to do it. And you're going to have to take the thing for a walk and it's going to bark at the neighbors and she's going to say how much she hates you because the dog's always barking at her. And maybe that's just me in my household, but I don't <laughs> Or you got to sit your food. We have to sit our food literally three feet back on the counter every time. We have three dogs. If we don't put our feet, food three feet back on the counter, it's gone. And you can make your whole entire deli sandwich for lunch, spend hours on it. Probably not hours, but you spend time on it. And the dog snack. I mean, it's just stuff you got to get used to. And what happens, this is the article that Karen read. It finishes with a surge of dogs about March to the Humane Society. Because people think about the start, but they don't think about finishing well. How many people buy a puppy with a plan for an aging dog's life and how that's going to play out in their lives? You know, you got to take them to the vet and you got to be home more. How many even plan as far ahead as summer vacation when you got to think who's going to watch this puppy that's now a toddler dog? And we can take this idea of puppies or whatever and we can apply this to so many things. We can apply it to how we start out in a marriage and how it finishes. Or we can apply it to our jobs and we start out with such great excitement, no plan for finishing. Or maybe a new school if you're moving schools. Or maybe a new church if you're thinking about moving church and it's so exciting in the beginning but no plan to finish. Or maybe a hobby. Or maybe a diet. Or maybe a friendship. In those initial stages, just so much anticipation, so much passion, so much promise, so much eagerness, but there is not a plan to finish well. I'll share a personal story. This church plant, we did it five years ago, and I'll tell you, man, initially there was just so much excitement and so much passion. And I'll tell you, all of us in that group of 10 or 12 of us, we had no idea what we were signing up for. And we did not give a lot of serious thought, did we, Tanya, to finishing well. We thought a lot about how we were going to start this church, but we did not think of finishing well. And I'll tell you, because of me not thinking that through this last year, there has been plenty of temptation to just fall on my sword and end it. This past year, it's been, COVID was awful as a pastor. You could please nobody, and I'm a people pleaser, and everybody hated me. It was terrible. And then we did the difficult question series this summer. That was brilliant, because that made all the other churches in town start to not like us. And uh, I don't know. And then our lease was up in September. Well, maybe it's time to throw in the towel. I mean, it's perfect timing to finish. I don't know if it would have been finishing well. Or maybe, instead of just ending the church, maybe we change our mission. I mean, we started out wanting to reach nuns and duns, but we're going to preach the gospel, but it's not working out so well, so maybe we need to try a new message here at this church. The new message would be God's love does depend on your behavior. You need to do more. You need to try harder. You need to stop relying on grace. It's all about what you do. How about we start ranking sin? You are better than those people over there. Those mental health issues, those people need to suck it up, buttercup. Those with doubts and questions, you just need to bury those down deep and shut up. But that wasn't the mission we were given. Changing the message, throwing in the towel is not being obedient to God's call for this church and for my own life. And it would not be finishing well. So let me just state publicly while we're on it, my commitment is to finish well. And so my commitment is to you. That's my commitment to God. To the best of my ability, I will finish well what we started. So how could Saul have finished well? 
How can we as a church finish well? How can you finish all the endeavors you've got going on in your life right now well? How can you finish your life well? Well, I think it starts with God's grace. That's where everything starts. That's where everything is in the middle. That's where everything ends. We sang tonight, grace that brought me to the fold of God. Grace is how we start the race as a Christian. Grace is what keeps us going when we're weary and tired, and it's grace that will lead us home to the finish line well. In fact, it's grace is the only reason we get to that finish line in the first place. Saul was anointed king. It's purely an act of grace by God. God's Spirit came upon him, purely an act of grace alone. He did nothing to earn it. He did nothing to deserve it. His kingship is 100% an act of grace. And because of that, because of knowing the grace of God, it should have changed his perspective. It should have given him a long perspective. Having a long view of life is hard these days. We're a day of imminence and immediacy, and so it's no easy task. We've got daily demands. Everything is urgent. We've got lots of noise surrounding us, and so it's hard to maintain that long perspective, but that's what's needed to finish well. That's why it's important to go into God's Word every single day because you get to see the long history of God in action. That's why it's important to come here and be with your church family weekly, set aside that time to see what God is doing and proclaim the gospel and loving our neighbors. That's why it's important to have encouragers in your life who will push you to finish well on those days you want to quit. Saw so a quote Winston Churchill, he's speaking after a critical allied victory in North America, uh, or North Africa, I'm sorry, and he said this, he says, this is not the end, it's not even the beginning of the end. But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. That's what a long perspective looks like, that um, for those of us who have accepted that gift of God's grace, death isn't really the end. It's only the end of the beginning of our eternity. That's what a long perspective looks like. Philippians 3, again, the Apostle Paul writes, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past And looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Those who finish well live a focused life. Those who don't finish well tend to live a scattered life. So living well and finishing well, there's clarity, there's consistency, there's dedication. And Paul says he focused on one thing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine getting to live life focusing on one thing, not dabbling in 50 different things, but eliminating the unnecessary crap and focusing on one thing? Hebrews 12, the writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We sang earlier, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. That one thing that our focused life is supposed to be on is fixating on that, is fixating upon Christ. Scott Morrison preached a few weeks back, and he actually said a quote that I said to him, and we've said back and forth to each other many times in doing ministry, and it's simply, if you're, not doing, if you're doing anything for any other reason other than serving and loving Jesus, you're always going to be disappointed. 
We say that to each other to keep us from becoming frustrating for working in ministry. We have to remember our one thing for doing it. We are doing it to serve and to love Jesus. And so when we fixate on Christ and then we fixate on the work that he gave us to do, what is that work? To seek and save the lost, to know him, to love him, to serve him, to glorify him, and not get distracted by the weeds. When we fixate on Christ, it removes distractions. When we remove distractions, we can focus on the long view, and we need the long view because there are going to be challenges in life. Saul, he constantly played this game of hide and seek. Hide from the struggles seek to impress others. That is not a game you can win. You are always going to lose that game of hide and seek. And so to finish well, we don't need to impress anyone, first of all, but we certainly don't need to hide from our struggles. Actually, just the opposite. We need to embrace our weaknesses to finish well. Second Corinthians, again, Paul writes three different times, I beg the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Verse 10, he says, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for whom? For Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We want the storyline of our life to go from strength to strength. We want it to go from success to success, and then it all to end happily ever after. We want the big W, right, at the end of the game. Indiana played Syracuse this past week. I'm a big Indiana Hoosier fan, and the game started out they were not playing well. They did not have a good plan to start well, and so they got down quickly by 18 points. That's where they ended halftime. It was an ugly half. Second half, they began to fight back. And they actually fought all the way back to tie the game at the end, take it to overtime. They finished pretty well. The first overtime, it was back and forth, back and forth. They finished well again. It went to a second overtime. The second overtime, back and forth, back and forth. They fouled a guy on the last play. He made the free throw. They lost the game. And people all over Twitter, there's like, there's no such thing as a moral victory. A loss is a loss. But that's not true for life. It's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible lesson is life through death. That's loss, triumph through loss. And so I want to reiterate, finishing well isn't about winning. It's about being obedient to God even in the losses. It's not an easy lesson to learn. It's a hard one. And so to finish well, we also need to develop a learning attitude. Paul writes again, 1 Timothy 4, 8, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. And I like this, and I hadn't caught it before, 2 Timothy 4, 13, he's talking to Timothy, he says, when you come, be sure to bring the coat I left in Carpus, because I liked it a lot, I guess, I don't know. And then he writes this, he says, also bring my books, especially my papers. He was a learner. Paul constantly, the great apostle Paul was always learning always studying. We won't finish well if you think you already know it all, because I can promise you, you don't. And so constant growth is constantly challenging your existing views and beliefs. And then even looking back at your old self and saying, what an idiot I was back then. I'm glad I'm better now and continuing that forward. So being open to learning gives a posture of humility. It keeps us open to mid-course corrections and it keeps us from plateauing. 
And so one last thing, and I have no good transition for this one, so I'm just going to throw it in here. But finishing well should include a sense of urgency. That is just a theme throughout the New Testament. The believers always acted as if Jesus was coming back tomorrow. And that's one of the truths we must accept is we don't know where that finish line is. And so to finish well, we need to live each day like that finish line is near. That was a really long sidebar in the story. So let's get back and let's finish the story. Verse 7 says, when the Israelites on the other side of the Jezreel Valley and beyond the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their towns and they fled. And so the Philistines moved in and occupied their towns. There is a ripple effect to Saul not finishing well. There's a ripple effect when we don't finish things well. Verse 8, it says, the next day when the Philistines went out to strip the dead, they found the bodies of Saul and his three sons on Mount Geboa. Verse 9, it says, so they cut off Saul's head and stripped off his armor. This is no doubt payback for what David did to Goliath and what the Israelites did with his head. It says this, then they proclaimed the good news of Saul's death in their pagan temple and to the people throughout the land of Philistine. They proclaimed the good news of Saul's dead. Good news, what word do we use for that in church? Gospel? This is the Philistine gospel, the good news of Saul's death. And here's what I want us to see. When we fail to finish well, whatever it is we're trying to finish, we can become props used to proclaim a different gospel. Saw on the news this morning, Joel Osteen, $600,000 in cash envelopes found by a plumber in the walls of the church. Just so happened that 600000 went missing from the church a few years ago. And so what is all over the news they're holding up that head of the Christians. Look what they did, and he is representing us. That, they claim to have faith, but look what happened when things got tough. That's why you don't waste your time on their God. Christians claim to have a monopoly on defining marriage, and then they proceed to hold up our divorce rates as a trophy. Verse 10, they placed his armor in the temple of Ashtoreths, and they fastened his body to the wall of the city of Bethshan. These pagans are exalting their gods to show how much their gods are better than our God. And they heap disgrace on the God of Israel. And they're saying, our idols won. Look how much better it is to put your hope in our idols, the God of lust, the God of money, the God of power, the God of entertainment, and the biggest God of all, the God of me. Verse 11 says, but, we know when we see that word but, there's going to be a transition when the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. All their mighty warriors traveled through the night to Bethshan and took the bodies of Saul and his sons down from the wall. They brought them to Jabesh where they burned the bodies. Back in, uh, I don't know, one of the early chapters, I think when we were having the small group, Saul delivered the people, if you remember, of Jabesh-Gilead. It's kind of his crowning achievement as king. And so here we've got an act of kindness in return. They risked their lives to prevent any further shame and disgrace to Saul, his body, and his sons. And then verse 13, Then they took their bones and buried them beneath the tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted for seven days. That's the end. First Samuel, we went through it pretty much cover to cover. If you were reading along as a church, we did go through it cover by cover. It's the conclusion of the book. And I want us to be sure tonight that we finished the book well. And so how do we do that? How do we finish Monarch of Misfits, 1 Samuel well? 
We finish well by seeing that this entire story, chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 31, verse 13, cries out. It screams for a better king than Saul. A king who will finish not just well, but perfectly. Saul was the first king of God's people, but he was not the last. I titled this series Monarch of Misfits because when I started, I thought we were going to go through several of the monarchs, and I just got into 1 Samuel and couldn't let it go. And so we stayed on Saul and a little bit of David for the most of the time. We'll come back to them in the future, but what you would see, if we went through all the monarchs of Israel, you would see that they are all broken. They are all a bunch of messed up misfit monarchs. They all hide their weaknesses. They all seek to impress the wrong people. They all fail to finish well, even David. And each of those monarchs who fail to finish well then are supposed to point us to a final king, one who wouldn't just finish well but would finish perfectly. Saul started out, we said, with so much promise, so much potential. If you were betting, you would bet on Saul. You're like, this is the guy. But Jesus, you probably wouldn't bet on him. He starts out in a manger, you know, the Christmas story, to a teenage mom. Isaiah says there's nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. He's not tall and handsome like Saul. Nothing to attract us to him. He wasn't head and shoulders above everybody else. And yet Saul did very little of what God ever asked him to do, and Jesus obeyed everything placed upon him by God. Now, both of these kings, their lives ended at the hands of their enemies. Both actually had their naked bodies hung up for shame for all who passed so they could laugh and mock the sign of a failed kingship. But when Jesus breathed his final breath, he proclaimed once and for all eternity. It is finished. That's finishing well. That's our confidence. That's our hope. That's what gives us a lifelong perspective so that we can play the long game when things get tough. That's what will allow us to focus and remove distractions. That will give us the power to embrace our weaknesses. This richness is so profound, we will want to continue to learn more and more about the depths of His grace. And most of all, the grace that we started with will continue in grace and we will end in grace. And so let's go right back to where we started as we close. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writing, he says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. There's one more verse, though, verse 8. He says, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, brothers and sisters, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. I want to end tonight with just a time of prayer and worship together as a church. I think it's good sometimes that we just take a couple of minutes and you're not listening to me talk. There's no music. It's just you and God. And so I'll just ask you if you would just bow your head, close your eyes tonight as we close. And just ask you to think about what it is that you need to finish well right now. Maybe it's a life transition, one's ending and something else is starting. Or maybe it's a season of sobriety that you, days you're dying would seem like a better option, but you want to finish. Or maybe it's a diagnosis, or maybe it's the end of a toxic relationship that you want to end, but you want to do so well. Or maybe it's just taking an inventory of your life. If you would just take a moment and bring that to God.
Next week, we do start our season of Christmas. We'll have three weeks of Christmas messages, so there won't be technically a small group per se this month, but you're going to kind of gather with your small groups here next week. There'll be details. Tanya's like, I'm so confused. There'll be details coming out about it once I figure out those details. Uh, And then the next week, we'll have a beautiful Christmas service. We're going to have some kids singing on the 18th. It's going to be amazing. And then on the 24th, we'll have our final Christmas service. It's a Friday, not a Saturday. So mark your calendars because Christmas is on Saturday. So December 24th, Christmas Eve candlelight service in this room. Bring a friend. And then January 1st, looking on ahead, we're not going to have any service that weekend, but we're going to do a church-wide picnic, dodgeball, volleyball, soccer, you name it. Bring your dogs. No, don't bring your dogs. (laughs) At our house, because it's at our house at Alva. This week, man, think about finishing well. Maybe it's a task that you've got going on right now, or maybe it's just taking inventory of life and saying, you know what? I haven't really given a whole lot of thought where this thing's headed. Maybe I need to put some thought into that. God bless. Love you all. See you next week.